Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Arjuna Contreras. He is also known by many people as RJ. Arjuna is a drummer and percussionist based out of Dallas, Texas, and has plans to relocate to Nashville, Tennessee in the fall of 2018. He possesses an uncanny ability to sound equally at home in a wide variety of musical styles, including jazz, country, R&B, Latin, rock, and even nuclear polka. Arjuna is often noted for the energy, soul, and excitement he brings to music, both as a performer and an educator. As a performer, Arjuna's experience is vast. He currently records and tours with the Reverend Horton Heat. He has toured nationally with the popular Texas country band 1100 Springs, as well as Grammy Award winners Brave Combo, Donna Summer, and Howard Scott, original lead singer and guitarist for War. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really helps us grow. A lot of us are using in-ear monitors on a more regular basis than we could have anticipated even just a few years ago. Unless you have that big artist gig that provides all the free gear that you need to do your job, you are responsible for the cost of your own in-ears, and the price is often too high for great-sounding in-ears. Session Ace is a company that makes great sounding ears at a very reasonable price. Zach and I have been putting these in-ears to the test in real-world settings for many months. I can honestly say these are the best sounding in-ears I've used. For only $199, you can own a set of ESAs or quad driver headphones. For the dual drivers or ESTs, it's only $99. The frequency response is better than any of the lower-level competitor products and is either equal to or better than other higher-end products. And lastly, the accessory package that comes with every order has everything you would possibly need from cable extensions, adapters, as well as a large assortment of ear tips to fit your ear. You can check all these out at sessionace.com slash working drummer and see some of the other products that they have to offer. So here you go. Here's my conversation with Arjuna Contreras. You just came from Soundcheck. Yeah, yeah, we're, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina today, um, and I know that because I looked at the Master Tour app this morning when I woke up, <laughs> you know, in the bus, and uh, yeah, we're playing uh, playing in Greensboro today, and uh, Soundcheck went a little bit longer yeah. than I had hoped, uh, because, you know, sometimes, you know, the boss comes in to Soundcheck, and sometimes he doesn't, and yeah. when he does, all bets are off. <laughs> but yeah. you know like jim you know the reverend you know he just he loves to play you know so like if he's in the mood to like play a little bit or whatever you know in the afternoon and we'll we'll end up doing some stuff and uh you know because of that you know it can be a little bit unpredictable in terms of when we're gonna end and that sort of thing but right. but i gotta i have a good chunk of time you know every day after after sound check to try to get <clears throat> whatever personal stuff I'm trying to work on, you know, or whatever done, mm-hmm. but it's always a challenge because what I usually want to do is just go back to the hotel and go to sleep <laughs> for a yeah. few hours. But yeah, yeah. but so, yeah. And you're di- you, are you guys on a bus? Yeah. Yeah. We're on a bus. We've got a bus and trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's real nice. You know, we're traveling obviously overnight to the, to the next city and 
you know, the whole, you know, standard like tour mode and wake up in the hotel parking lot and mm -hmm. schlep up to the room and hang out for there for a few hours and go to sound check and uh, mm -hmm. go back to the hotel if possible or yeah. hang out on the bus or whatever, do the show, yeah. <clears throat> hang out a little bit and then, you know, lather, rinse, repeat the mm -hmm. next day. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> we've been we've been out for about two weeks so far on this run. Um, came up through the Midwest and worked our way out to the East Coast. And um, a couple of days ago, we played a Brooklyn Bowl um, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which was a lot of fun. Obviously, it's a really cool spot, and uh, it was a sold-out show, so it was, it was a blast. And of course, I snuck in a couple slices at my favorite pizza places. And <laughs> Had a really good falafel sandwich from a food truck at the after the show, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we're uh, we're we're we got about a week left in the before we get back to to Dallas, which is where the band is based out of, mm -hmm. and uh, then we're in town for two days uh, to kind of just kind of uh, regroup, and then we're flying over to Europe for two weeks, um, <sighs> the beginning part of July, which is going to blast. Mm. I noticed <clears throat> that on a schedule. That's amazing. Are you guys in the Netherlands? Yeah. Did I see that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have um, we have a couple shows. Um, I, you know, we're in like uh, yeah, we're well, we're 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 hitting London first. We're actually going to be in London on the fourth of July. You know, how's that for <laughs> irony? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we got a day off on the fourth in 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 London. And then we play uh, play on the in London, and then we head to to Belgium. Uh, followed by like a psychobilly festival that happens right outside of Barcelona, mm -hmm. and then um, and then I think we are headed up to like uh, we you know we have um, I'd say a show in Oslo, uh, and then another show in Norway. I'm not sure this in like Vergen maybe I'm not sure, actually I'm not sure the city mm -hmm. on that one, but um, a couple shows in in Norway, a show in Helsinki, um, and we're playing a playing a show in a castle in Estonia, which is going to be, going to be wild. Like I had to look, uh, you know, I was ignorant of where like Estonia actually was. I had to look at Google maps and I think it's like, between, wow. it's like Pennsylvania, just <laughs> <laughs> east yeah, of Pittsburgh. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Rockaway, it's Beaver like County, Rockaway, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, I was amazed. I was like, wow, I'm basically going to Russia. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I think definitely it was probably Eastern block back in the day right mm -hmm. like uh when you know when there were still a, a you know ussr or whatever so anyway like uh it's gonna be fun you know it's two weeks um and i think it's about seven or eight shows so there's a little bit of time to hang like in a couple of those cities i know we have a day off in barcelona and then um like i was saying we have a, a day to re basically recover from traveling in london and so i'm you know hoping to you know check out the sites a little bit i've actually never been to london so i'm looking forward to that have you been overseas um, uh, before? yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah the country band that i was in um a texas country band that i was in before reverend horton he um was a band called 1100 springs uh -huh. and yeah. we did a couple we did a couple things over in france so so i've been to france twice and actually that's the only travel i've done to europe so far so i'm yeah. you know i love france and i and sadly we're not going we're not hitting france on that on this run of shows but um but i'm excited to to check out you know some of the other countries and just kind of get a feel for <clears throat> the other stuff that's happening there as much as you can when you're when you're on tour you know and, and exhausted but but yeah so i'm looking forward to that and that's um fun. You know, it's uh, and then after after that, I have a 
about a, I think about a month of time off, which is going to be really nice because this will have been essentially like a, almost a six week run of shows. I think between what we what we're doing in the states and then and then the the European stuff. So. Mm-hmm. So tell me about Reverend Horton Heat. Like, what's what's the mm-hmm. band makeup? Is it, a, it? It doesn't seem like it was a very large band on tour, right? No, it's a it's a it's been a trio, you know, mm-hmm. for um, for basically the you know like a rockabilly trio. You know, yeah. Jim Jim Heath, the Reverend, you know, is on you know lead guitar and yeah. and, and vocals, and then Jimbo Wallace playing upright bass um, and vocals, and then myself on drums, and then. Um, in the recent past here, uh, there's been a piano player playing with us as well, a uh, young guy who's a really great piano player. So, you know, we've been doing some, you know, more traditional kind of rockabilly stuff that would use, you know, piano. But for for the you know majority of time of the period of the band, you know, the band's been together like 30 years, you know. And right. this is, uh, I'm, I'm coming up on like my first full year of, uh, of being in the band. They okay. actually, they made it official like that I was hired last year on August 11th, which was actually my birthday. So it was kind of nice. cool to have that happen on the, to have mm-hmm. a big like, the big reveal of the the new drummer, you know, happen on my birthday, you know, which is kind of a neat kind of little little nod but to me but um but yeah it's a three-piece band you know with a piano player on the road right now as well and then what jim has been doing a lot of uh it's been bringing out like um a a special guest to come out like during our show and do a little mini set of songs okay so um on this tour, uh, it's a guy named Big Sandy who has a, a rockabilly band on the uh, out of Orange uh, Orange County, California yeah. called Big Big Sandy and and, and his Flyright Boys, okay. and they're like a really smooth, like slick, like classic, like rockabilly sound. And Big Sandy himself as a singer, he kind of sounds like a cross between Elvis and Richie Valens. You know, he's uh, Big Sandy's a Hispanic guy, so he kind of has like kind of Hispanic kind of big booming voice you know and it's it's really cool you know and um he's a you know great showman as well so he comes out and does like six or seven songs with us in the middle of our show basically um and in the past you know we we you know we did a tour in march that um um, we used uh unknown henson i'm not sure if you're familiar with that guy but uh so unknown henson is the main character on a on an adult swim animated show called squidbillies yeah yeah yeah. okay (laughs) wow yeah yeah he's early kyler on squidbillies um and so he like his musical act to a certain extent could be seen i guess as like an extension of his character on that show because i don't know if it's like life imitating art or art imitating life because (laughs) like uh he's kind of in this character his name is uh Stuart Daniel Baker is his real name. Um, and he's like, you know, a, a South Carolina gentleman, you know, like, uh, and, but his, his act is kind of maybe a little bit of an exer- exaggeration of <laughs> people from the South and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I guess yeah, right. it could, could be offensive if he wasn't also from the South and <laughs> living up to those, uh, ideals himself. But, yeah. uh, but he, but he's a blast and he's a great songwriter and, um, really uh really clever songwriter and he is actually shreds on on guitar as well so so yeah he's been he's been out on a bunch of tours with the band um a couple of that since i've been in the band um the first time they ever did this kind of a deal where they where they bring out a special guest um to join during the show the first time they ever did it was with lummy kill mr you know motorhead um 
And so that was, you know, like obviously like bringing Lemmy out was mm-hmm. quite a quite a huge thing. And they would wheel out his, you know, his stack and everything and do like a few Motorhead songs. Wow. <laughs> you know, That's like crazy. during Reverend Horton Heat set. Yeah. And that kind of grew, you know, Lemmy was a friend of Jim and Jimbo's. You know, he would come see them when 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 the band would play in L.A. Lemmy would come out and. Um, you know, that grew into, oh, hey, jump up and do a song with us, became, hey, do you want to go on tour with us during this downtime and, and be a guest? And then, you know, then it went to, you know, uh, it got to the point where Reverend Horton Heat, you know, came out as direct support for Motorhead on a couple, t- you know, uh, North American tours and that sort of thing. Wow. So, yeah. So every every night, like the last song of the show before um take a break and then come back for the encore the the last uh last we do ace of spades as like the last song and and you know jim tells a little story about lemmy and everything and so it's a you know obviously a, a you know fun part of the show you know and, and it's like a true like we're basically trying to play play it like motorhead basically so That's it's amazing. a little bit interesting with like upright bass and stuff you know but yeah. it, it sounds pretty it sounds pretty killer but but yeah, I mean, you know, Reverend Horton Heat is a, you know, it's a blast of a band for me to play with, you know, because, you know, inherent in rockabilly and psychobilly music is like, there's so many different influences, you know, you can go so many different ways with it, everything from like, you know, um, like a Stray Cats kind of thing, you know, with, you know, playing like in the, like a cock, basically like a cocktail kit, or you could do like a full on, you could use like a full on double kick, you know, metal setup if yeah. you want, because like, you know, the, the music, like there's, there's, uh, elements obviously of like early, you know, roots, rock and roll kind of stuff. And then, you know, everything from like country, you know, there's a lot of songs that we do that are like train beats and that sort of thing, but everything from country to, punk rock type stuff a lot of the songs actually kind of lean towards punk rock and then you know even like some metal stuff you know so and then even like some jump swing types you know like kind of like shuffle stuff or Mm -hmm. you know like uh up tempo like you know you know two and four like backbeat heavy like swing type stuff you know so it's just a blast of a gig you know like um in a in a weird way it was actually brought up to me of a friend of mine uh, took me out to lunch shortly after after I got hired. It's a, a bass player in in Denton, Texas, named uh, Bubba Hernandez, and he you know is a really gifted bass player and singer. And he was you know one of the main members of the band Brave Combo for like twenty five years. Right. So he he was you know he's won a couple Grammys with them, and they were in animated form on the Simpsons in 2005. So mm-hmm. he's like, you know, he's a pretty major, mm-hmm. major talent himself. But, but, you know, we went out to eat at this, uh, taqueria in, in Denton and he was, and I was like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm blown away. I can't believe, you know, this gig happened, you know, and now it's, it's changing my life. Basically I'm dropping everything I'm doing in the Dallas Fort Worth area, everything I have going on. And, you know, this is like my full-time gig. I just can't hardly believe that happened. And he was like, man, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, you've been preparing, for this band for like the last 20 years you just didn't know it you right, know and, and right. i was like you know yeah and it's like you know that kind of blew me away because he was like well you know man you know it's like you have your background you know playing like jazz at unt you know and you know you're playing a lot of jazz so that that you have that angle covered you were just playing in a country band you've been you know playing train beats and and two-step like shuffles for for days on end you know you got that down 
And then, you know, on top of that, like you brave the brave combo, which, you know, there's I'm not sure how familiar you are with with uh, that band, but they're yes. kind of known for. Yeah, they're known for playing like nuclear polka. Right. right, you know, which right. Is, <laughs> that's like the main thing that they would that they were originally known for. I mean, they've been around for, I think, since. Yeah. And, and I want to I want to get into the, I want to get into brave combo for sure. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, and I think you're leading into this, is kind of what your experience with punkabilly or rockabilly and, and that kind of thing uh, before mm-hmm. joining Reverend Horton Heat. But it I sounds like in, that's what you were told. You were like, hey, look, you've been working on this stuff all your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I, I, I didn't know it. And, you know, of course, I was a fan of the band. I was a fan of Reverend Horton Heat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and knew that they were from Dallas, you know, and I, I've been in the Dallas area for over 20 years now myself. And so you can't really be a professional musician in that town and not have heard of mm-hmm. uh, Erica Badu mm-hmm. and Reverend Horton, Reverend Horton Heat and the Toadies, you know, and Bowling for Soup and, you know, these bands that, you know, you know, made it big and Brave Combo as well, you mm-hmm. know, and, and there's, you know, several others, obviously. But um you know, so I was aware of the band. I was a fan of a few songs of theirs. I probably tried my hand, you know, playing Psychobilly Freakout on Guitar Hero 2, you know, and, and, <laughs> and played it very poorly. But of course, you know, they got a lot of name recognition from from that video game and, you know, like Tony Hawk video games that have had featured songs of theirs and stuff. But, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, I, I hadn't really played... Um, uh, well, I take that back. You know, the 1100 Springs had an uh, we had like an offshoot like rockabilly trio, um, you know, where it was just the the guitarist, lead singer, and bass player from 1100 Springs along with myself, and and we did essentially um, like a um, or like almost like a rockabilly cover band is what it was. We ended up doing a couple original songs as well, but it was more of just of an outlet for those two guys, uh, names, uh, Matt Hillier and Steve Berg to do, uh, like an outlet to play rockabilly stuff. Cause in the past they have, they had had a rockabilly trio before 1100 Springs actually. Okay. And, um, so in that band, I did get a, a, a lot of education about playing like actual rockabilly music, you know, mm-hmm. like um, and more t- leaning towards the traditional stuff, not not so much like the psychobilly, like the, you know, the more amped up like punk rock stuff, mm-hmm. but more of the traditional stuff and like, you know, learning, you know. As I did with, you know, with 1100 Springs, like learning, you know, lessons, you know, in terms of, you know, less is more and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. especially in like the kind of country and rockabilly stuff that we were playing. Um, the other stuff that what, what Bubba was pointing out to me is it was kind of like unconscious preparation, you know, like kind of like the, you know, like new, new, new science type stuff. It's like you're unintentionally preparing for this opportunity that's going right. to present itself to you at some point in the future and um but you know he he really nailed it because like like i was saying like you know brave combo did a you know a lot of different styles but they're most known for playing like really fast like polka songs sped up to like a punk rock tempo is mm-hmm. kind of what they're really known for and, and like so that's like it's almost the exact same beat and feel for reverend horton heat songs like psychobilly freak out or um, the the Jimbo song or Baddest of the Bad, like these different songs that are um, kind of like, you know, well-known songs of theirs all have that same kind of like punk rock kind of feel. So, and it's basically what I was doing with 
um, with Brave Combo. And so, you know, him pointing out that like, oh, well, you've been working, you're kind of like a, a, a well-versed in all these different styles that yes. rockabilly and psychobilly pull from. It's like, you know, whatever higher power or spiritual aspect that you believe in was like preparing you for this mm -hmm. you know this uh moment that 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 it was gonna that that it was gonna you know change my life you know and it's so um you know that, that was definitely like a mind blow kind of moment for me because i hadn't actually thought of it that way and it you know kind of taught me a really big lesson that it's like you you never know Right. You know how the you never know how how the how everything is going to link up. You know, and you you it, it, while you're on your path, it's it's hard a, a lot of the time, obviously, for musicians to to keep on plugging away and you know doing what you know taking whatever opportunity comes to you next and yes. like learning from it and trying to keep plugging along. And you never know that you never know what it's going to lead to. You know, it's like if if I could you know link. I can actually, but now actually looking back on it, I can kind of link it all together in terms of how I ended up getting, you know, the gig with Reverend Horton Heat. And it involves actually one of the one, a, a, a past uh, interviewee of yours on the show, Brian Ferguson. He yeah. he actually, when I, I, I was in Brave Combo for a couple of years, uh, like 2008 to 2010, mm -hmm. the beginning of 2010. And, and when I left that band, he... Um, was getting ready actually to leave 1100 Springs. He had another opportunity that he was going to pursue. And so he called me up and it was like, Hey man, I know you're, you know, you're playing around town, you're playing church gigs and teaching and stuff, but you know, I'm getting ready to leave 1100 Springs. You know, do you think you'd want to audition for it? He said, I think you'd have a you know really good shot. And, you know, at that point I had never played country music before and I had been in Texas for probably 15 years That's already. Amazing. That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. You know, cause, cause I was playing, like I was playing a lot of, you know, um, well, like smooth jazz, like R and B, um, you know, like a lot of, a lot of cover band stuff, you know, um, church gigs and whatnot. Um, I, you know, I, I learned, you know, a ton playing, especially with, um, uh, a smooth jazz group called fingerprints, uh, that's based kind of out of the Dallas Fort Worth area. And with, along with them, a sax player who sometimes plays with them, but also, uh, does his own thing. A guy named Shelly Carroll. He's actually, he actually plays like in the Duke Ellington ghost band also, oh, you know, how they, they, yeah. So he still does that. I mean, he's a killing tenor player, but also, you know, plays, you know, plays all the, all the woodwind instruments, but, but, you know, my, that was more of what I was doing at that, you know, uh, you know, in the early 2000s and stuff was playing a lot of that sort of stuff around town. But, you know, when Brian offered me, you know, uh, kind of a little in with 1100 Springs, I was like, well, man, I can't really say I, you know, I'm a drummer in Texas and have never really played country. So I was like, you know, let me go for it, you know? And so, you know, I learned the songs and, you know, prepared really well i felt and you know got that gig and so but, but 1100 springs i mean i mean describe mm -hmm. the kind of is it more texas country how what yeah what genre well yeah i'd say texas country you know it they i would say even more than that kind of more like traditional country right like you know merle haggard you mm -hmm. know um Buck Owens stuff, um, Waylon Jennings, that kind of style. Yeah. But it's uh, but it's original music. Like you know, mm -hmm. Matt Hillier, the songwriter, you know, is is doing original stuff, but in those kind of styles. So in some ways, like they predated 
kind of like the what's popular in Texas now, like the Texas, like red dirt country, you know, kind of Texas, Oklahoma, yeah. you know, kind of situation. They, they kind of predate that. I mean, they do get booked on a lot of those kind of festivals and, you know, the, because, you know, they're one of the you know bigger bands in that in the scene in Texas. But it's not so much of what, you know, would be known as like the red dirt thing, which, you know, leans a little bit more towards like kind of, you know, like rock kind of they do, you know, they'll do like um, they'll do, you know, like like Texas, like swing stuff, you yes. know, a lot of a lot of two step shuffles, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of train beat type stuff, you know, a lot of um kind of Wayland beat, you know, stuff, you know, the four on the floor. I call it like, well, I mean, I've heard it called the Wayland beat. I don't know how, yeah, exactly. how, yeah, you know, like so halftime is, is, is the Nashville term for sure. If yeah, somebody yeah, calls yeah, out a exactly. song and you're like, Hey, what is this? Uh, oh, Wayland halftime. You're like, I got it. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, exactly. Reason, the reason I, cause I, after listening to some of the tracks, um, 1100 Springs, I, you know, there, there there's an, a swing element that's so important about that. That mm-hmm. uh, that's probably another thing that Brian n- knew about you, and said, yeah, I think so. I mm-hmm. I think so. Like I think he thought I could probably get it, you know. Yes, and and you know, and I definitely didn't have it at the beginning, you know. And it's been a process, you know. And those band those band members were were really helpful and saying, well, yeah, you know, it's like the shuffle is like a little bit more on top than what you're, it needs to be a little bit more on top than Mm -hmm. what you're playing or that sort of stuff, you know? But I think definitely Brian saw in me, you know, that, that there was a, you know, that, you know, that I I feel like I'm a good learner and that I would, you know, you know, really delve into the music and get it together. And, um, you know, so, you know, I'm really thankful to him for that, you know, and uh, coincidentally at that same time, he also gave, he also basically got me his church gig, <laughs> which was, which was, uh, you know, at a, at a, you know, one of the mega churches in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you know, he was in the process of getting a gig, uh, that was going to be, uh, more, more, uh, all encompassing from a time standpoint. I see. Um, so, so yeah, but you know, long story short, like you know, I I ended up playing you know in 1100 Springs for six years, and at the end of 2016, I was um, you know kind of ready for a change. Nothing uh, necessarily with that band that was causing me to leave, but you know, I was ready to for a change. I wanted to kind of get back into the teaching that I do a little bit, yeah. and um, you know, so basically, I left that band on really good terms. Well. The tie-in is that Matt Hillier from 1100 Springs was kind of like a protege of Jim Heath's, the you know the Reverend Horton Heath. Mm-hmm. Like those guys are really good friends. And um, in fact, when when um, when we had that little rockabilly trio offshoot that I was talking about called Matt the Cat Trio. Um, Jim would, you know, the Rev would come out. He came out to a couple of those shows that we, like in the Dallas area, and he would jump on stage and played, like, That's All Right, you know, the Elvis Presley, you know, That's All Right, Mama. You know, he played that with us or whatever. So he was kind of a little bit familiar with me, my playing and had met me. And if he, if I saw him at one of his shows or something, he'd be like, Hey, RJ, how's it going, man? You know, but I mean, we weren't really close or anything, but, but he was aware of me, you know? Yeah, so yeah. fast forward to the summer of 2017, um, you know, Jim makes a change, uh, you know, with the drum situation um, in the middle of while they were doing pre-production on a, on a new record. And, you know, there's a change that's made and, you know, it's announced on Facebook or whatever. And, you know, Jim, you know, um, you know, said, hey, well, you know, um, 
where we need another, we need a drummer or he said something like that on Facebook, you know? And of course I'm sure like, you know, a ton of names. Well, I've heard numbers of how many names got, came his direction. It was in the hundreds, you know, wow. but, you know, but people that, you know, I mean, obviously that, you know, it's everyone tagging their friend, you know, and saying, Hey, this is the guy for you. You yeah, know, sure. like, <laughs> he lives in Japan, but you know, if you can, if you can get him to the gigs, he can, he's your guy, you know? But anyway, Matt called me that morning, the morning that it happened and said, man, you know, do you want me? I don't know if you heard, but, you know, do you want me to throw your name into the hat? You know, and, I, you know, and it's like that kind of thing could wouldn't have happened if I would have left on poor terms. You know, when I left 1100 Springs, you know, there would have been true. no way. Yeah. But, you know, Matt, Matt called Jim and apparently Jim, uh, Matt was the first person that Jim talked to you about about a replacement for the the previous drummer who's also you know a really fine drummer a guy named scott chirilla um and uh and uh, jim was like oh yeah well i know rj and you know he's a great guy and good good drummer but isn't he your drummer you know because jim <laughs> you know like i said like he's not like that tied in with you know what we were doing so he thought i was still in 1100 springs you know and and matt's like no no he left at the end of last year you know it's all good though but he's like man he is the guy for your music he can do all the styles That's you know great. And, That's yeah great. and you know and so matt told me he's like hey if you if you get a if you get a phone call from a, a 214 area code you know you know he didn't like slip me like jim's phone number but he said if you get a, a call that you don't recognize from 214 in the next couple of days now's the time to uh pick to pick up. up the phone <laughs> yeah even even if you think it might be a bill collector pick it up anyway <laughs> you know like um so you know that was on a monday and um you know the crazy thing was was that like a couple days went by and and i knew a couple of the other names that were you know being floated uh including one of the you know, previous, you know, drummers who, who lives in, in Dallas, you know, and, and is an excellent drummer, a guy named Taz Bentley. And so, you know, I, I, after a couple of days went by, you start kind of losing hope and you're like, oh, well, man, you know, I bet, you know, I bet they're going to, they're going to hire Taz, which, you know, would have been a great move. Taz is a killer drummer. And honestly, like the, the songs that I've learned with the band that he recorded, those have been like the hardest ones for me to learn, <laughs> mostly because of like his like sick double bass chops, you know, that's but, crazy. Uh, That's yeah. Crazy. So anyway, like uh, you know, a couple of days go by and next thing you know, it's like, a, you know, and I'm teaching private lessons. This is in the summer. It's in July. I'm teaching like, you know, 15 lessons a day or whatever at a, at a public school uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, um, you know, I'm not hearing anything. So I'm getting more and more disappointed. Well, on a Thursday morning, uh, you know, I'm in Starbucks, you know, and I get it. I get a text message, you know. Hey, Arjuna, Jim Heath here. Uh, man, we made we don't have a drummer right now, and we're we're going into the studio next week. Come in and record a couple songs. Oh yeah, like that, like that's how that's how he put it out to me. And I was I you know texted back immediately. I was like, yes, in fact, hell yes, <laughs> you know, like. Uh, and I was like, what? Well, wait, were you saying you're going into the studio today? Like I'm thinking, like you know, as naive as I was, I'm thinking, wait, is he trying to get me to come down there like right now? I have like 15 lessons scheduled today and and he was like no no but maybe like early next week or something and i was like yes let's do it i'm i'm, I'm game so you know we kept on talking the next couple days and uh he was saying oh well, i'm gonna send a couple tracks to you well a couple tracks became like oh i'm gonna send you a few and then when he ended up sending them like friday night 
at midnight, basically sent eight tracks. And the, the, the session was Monday morning, you know, at 10 a.m., you know. <laughs> Is there anything at its core with all these different styles and all the different things that you dove into that any advice that you would give to a, a player that wants to make sure that they're prepared for just about anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, number one, and I'm sure this has been echoed, you know, on the podcast a lot, but number one, I would say, listen to as many styles as you possibly can of music, especially the ones that you don't think that you like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, oftentimes like, uh, it's the, the you, you start the more you listen you, the more you start hearing the nuances in feel and touch and placement of the beat and that sort of thing that makes certain styles or grooves work or not work and you can't you can't know that unless you unless you listen so number one listen to as much as as you possibly can um which you know for for my purpose right now it, you know after you know jim hired me for this gig i i did go back in and start listening more to you know like carl perkins and you know buddy holly stuff and you know um just you know everything that i could find uh to try to hear and all that it's catching at times on some of those older recordings because the drums aren't super prevalent in the mix you know but you can get an idea of what's happening feel wise and you know um so Another thing I would recommend is that like the answer isn't going to be in more notes usually, <laughs> you know, like um, yeah. Ed Sof really changed my thinking about drumming and being a musical drummer um, during the, the few semesters that I took lessons with him at North Texas, you know, um, one of the first things he told me, and it was interesting because, you know, I was, I came into North Texas as like a drumline guy. I mean, I came in with the dream of playing in the one o'clock, like every, like in the one o'clock lab, man, like every drummer does. Um, but I was coming down there technically on like a drumline scholarship, you know, okay. due to the drum core stuff that I had done. And it's it, at that time, it was pretty rare for, for Ed to take, to take drum set students that, that, um, that were, heavily involved in drum wine, you know, um, just be, you know, because of the, you know, differences in, in technique and, you know, thought process and, you know, that whole thing. I mean, he was taking mostly jazz studies majors as students, you know, cause there was four or five other, you know, drum set teachers there at the school at the time. But, um, one of the first things he told me that I still think of to this day and, and try not to focus on when I'm practicing or when I'm listening is, um, you know, he told me, he's like, man, you know, stop working on like on chops, mm. you know, like, you, you know, it's like you, you, you have hands and like you have technique, you have coordination, you, you know, you got to work on, on being more musical, like in everything you do, you know, whether it's, you know, playing a big band chart or, you know, playing a funk tune or, you know, like you got to work on your time, your feel and your touch and, um, and making every note that you play count, you know, for the for whatever song that you're playing. That's um, great. You know, a lot of it was, you know, obviously jazz in a jazz context because that's what we were there studying, you know. But yeah. but uh, I, that's really stuck with me is that, you know, the answer, um, you know, isn't going to be usually playing more notes. It's going to be you know playing less or making the ones that you do play count. You know, you know, like. Uh, um, 
you know, it's like, how does a, you know, a, a painter know when a painting's done? It's like, well, they, they know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, you, they know eventually, you know, like you might think there's more to do, but that, that person might know that that painting is done now. Okay. Well, so like when you play a song, it's like, yeah. how many, how many notes are too many? Well, obviously it's too many you're too busy if the if the boss turns around and gives you a look you know, or if you but, have to ask that question maybe yeah, maybe right, that's the time exactly. yeah man that's the time to to uh to, to chill a little bit yeah, but that's great but but yeah so i mean like um you know and i've so i've taken like that you know i think in a, and I've, I've never been like known i don't think uh amongst the musicians that i've played with you know mostly in the dallas fort worth area i don't think i've really been known as like a super like you know choppy type drummer you know i admire all of that mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um but i've always I'm, I'm i'm on a quest to try to play more and more musical you know yeah. and obviously certain styles call for more notes than others or you know more chops you know and you know i, I can't say that i'm a, a you know a huge fan of a lot of what you see on on the socials <laughs> you know like i mean i well, you know i let me ask you rj why why aren't you a fan of that well um, because I can't see, like a lot of it, I think is of like for its own sake mm-hmm. and you can't, I can't see how, like most of the stuff that I hear, like on Instagram, I'm like, well, you know, God love them. I, I love that they can do that. But yeah. if I could do that and I did that on a song on our show, I'd get fired. you know so like if the purpose is only to like if it's like an athletic kind of like pursuit that you're trying to display or some kind of a mathematical like algorithm or equation that you're trying to like uh Mm -hmm. bear out on the drum set well i can see that on its own merit perhaps but i mean i just i like music you know i like hearing stuff that that you know that that has a groove to it you know whatever style it is you know if it doesn't have a pocket like that I, i've never really been drawn to it so you know i mean i admire a, yeah. a ton of what i see you know online i'm kind of poking fun at you I, it's a yeah. it's somewhat of a rhetorical question yeah yeah you know sure. it's like wh- why not i i would argue that most working drummers are in that same boat and we know mm-hmm. we both know uh very busy and successful working drummers with chops for days uh, mm-hmm. That can do that. It's it's been echoed, like you say, how important touch and feel and time is, and I would argue that that is that is a series of chops that's necessary. Sure. We we use sure. that we throw that word around maybe gratuitously to describe something that um, is leaves a bad taste in your mouth or is more about mm-hmm. you know athletics and those types of things. But I think they're there is, uh, uh, I think you could describe touch and feel the way Ed Sof is as a chop, as an yeah, sure, or a super important chop. It, you yeah. know, it's, a, it's so funny. I've been I've been working the, with this this great band recently, and they lost a, a really great drummer to uh, a road gig, and so they've been using some different drummers uh, filling in, and and uh, me being one of them, and I've had a lot of fun uh, working with them recently, and. Uh, so uh, the first couple cool. gigs I did with them, they said, uh, they said, yeah, man, like it, 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 we want it to feel good. It feels good, blah, blah, blah. He goes, um, he said, you know, chops aren't important to us. And immediately, mm-hmm. I knew what he meant, but it, it, immediately 
uh, I said, why would you say that to me? Like they knew. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are they implying that we, we know you have chops? So we know don't you don't have that. chops. So don't worry about it. And it's funny because I didn't, I hadn't gotten to know them yet. So I was totally uh-huh. like, here's an opportunity to, to give them shit. And so yeah, they yeah, sure. still laugh yeah. about that to this day. It's been about. Well, it's, yeah, you know, especially like when the relationships are all new and you're, yeah. you're kind of feel, feeling each other out and you're not sure if they're, how to take like what someone is saying. Oh, you know? it's so funny. It, it totally broke. <laughs> the eyes it would it, like it yeah. shattered that third wall all of a sudden everybody was everybody's like that is hilarious they thank, yeah they said some people are so sensitive about that i said please you know let's have fun with this this is music yeah well i mean another thing that i think about like that you know i mean it's so easy these days just to like record yourself like with yeah you know a super basic setup you know record yourself and and yep. bear playing a, a, a basic groove and like just give yourself a chance to bear the truth of how you look in a grid, like on, you know, in, in whatever, you know, doll you want to use. Like, I mean, that's something that I'm, uh, when in the little time that I have, I'm, I'm just trying to play, I'm still trying to play in time. You know what I mean? Like people are trying to play like crazy chops and stuff. And I'm like, well, man, I, I'm still trying to just work on my time and like being able to like shift stuff and, you know, make it feel slightly different. I do that on the gig as well. Like at times, like, uh, just changing slightly where I'm putting the backbeat and kind of making a mental note of how I think it feels, you know, and we're not, our gig isn't, we're not on a, I'm not on a click on our gig, you know, it's okay. totally, it's totally naked for better or worse. I mean, I think it does like Jim hates playing. T- I mean, they've, they've, they've done records in the past that have been on the click and he's, those are the ones that he's not, you know, not happy with. And mm. he insists that he wants things to breathe. And then yeah. in fact, there's like one song that we're, as a new one on this new record that, um, Oh, I didn't finish telling that story about, about how, how he hired me. I'll come back to that one. But, yeah. but, you know, so that recording session that I did ended up, ended up being over the course of two days, I recorded the whole record, you That's know, awesome. like, <laughs> yeah, but you know, so now we're starting to put some of those songs into our set. And one of them, um, it kind of goes, it's a ballad, you know, it kind of starts off like a, you know, kind of a ballad with like quarter note, like ride feel, but then it, the, like the, the, the chorus kind of goes into like a push beat, like almost like a Motown, like, you know, four on the four on the snare kind of thing. And like it, Jim really wants it to push, you know, like to, to the point where it's not the same tempo. It's like the song is like now in three different tempos basically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I see his point though, like he's looking at stuff like from like the, impact of how it feels and he's not concerned whether or not like we're staying on a grid you know like and because it's it literally is like further than like pushing like just to the front of the beat you know or whatever like it's a new tempo you know like so um you know like learning about that kind of stuff you know but i think you know in order to do that you also have to be able to play in time when you need to you know obviously i mean that's our number one job as drummers but like um well, you know, this, I'm, I'm, I'm more like I'm more interested in learning, like getting better at that kind of stuff. You know, maybe it's just because I'm old, I guess now. But no, like. no, no. I think that, okay, so there's a couple things. Uh, I think that because of what this style is, it's rooted in a in an older style of music, mm-hmm. and I think tempo shift was an element that was introduced to create excitement and tension Mm -hmm. and energy and and whatever that's the way music had been for hundreds of years and then sure you know then uh, western pop music became part i remember talking with matt johnson about this because he's 
working within a very tight grid. And he brought up something that I thought was really interesting, that if you, you go back not too far, too many decades, people used tempo shifts to create different musical dynamics. Mm-hmm. And because most of what a lot of us do in pop music, there is no tempo shift. Mm-hmm. And so you have to create new ways to um, implement energy uh, within that grid, which is a yeah. new challenge for drummers. But sure. I think it sounds like Jim is saying, "Hey, we're just gonna, we're going to shift the, the tempo." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's, there's. I mean, listen to perfect example. Listen to Honky Tonk Woman. Mm-hmm. That speeds up. And I think sure. most people don't realize it speeds up. And when I was a kid, I didn't realize it speeded it speeded right. up. And, and then you listen mm-hmm. to it now, I'm like, whoa. But yeah. it feels so right. So this yeah, whole grid listen, thing yeah. Yeah. is is what working drummers have to deal with and what we have to work with. But but that thing is you you know, this is hey, this is what the boss wants. So this is what you Yeah. Do. Yeah, and like, yeah, exactly. And like, mm-hmm. even like stuff like, you know, like, listen to like old Earth, Wind, and Fire records, mm-hmm. you know, and like, like the song September. I mean, like, it starts at one tempo, and what, what is it like, you know, 15 or 20 clicks faster? It feels like by the end almost, you know, like, uh, but it's grooving the whole time, right, and it's, right. it feels great, you totally. know, and you don't, you don't sense it unless you were to sit there and like, you know, try to click it out with like a metronome app or something, you know, then you would realize that it's, it's happening. But man, it, you know, so that's where, that's where this band is like coming from. And mm-hmm. like, and, and I find like, again, like just kind of like right gig at the right time. Like this is the kind of stuff that I'm more interested in, you know, now and have always been to a certain extent. I mean, I've always been impressed by, by, by chops. I mean, you know, and of course went through my, you know, Dave Weckl phase, like in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties, where like, that's all I wanted to, to, to play like, or, you know, and, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but like, as over the years have gone, like, you know, I am um, just more attracted to, you know, to stuff that, that grooves hard, you know. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. I try to do solo stuff that, like, uh, that entertains the audience more than would entertain, you know, just the drummers that are in so, the room. So <laughs> had you done many drum solos before? <clears throat> um yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did one in Eleven Hundred Springs that wasn't quite as maybe quite as um, as as extensive as as the one in this band. Um, I didn't really do one, I don't think, in when I was in Brave Combo. Um, so, what did you, know, you do to prepare for this? Well, I mean, I have a couple like you know, like I had a couple like shtick, shticky kind of things mm-hmm. like my pocket that i that i knew that i like and it's kind of it's it wasn't really a preparation i mean i the first time like 
I did one uh, back. Well, interestingly enough, I think the first time I did a drum solo with with Reverend Horton Heat was last year. My first tour with them, which was in September, and it was a tour that was a four band tour. One of the bands being the our direct support for that tour was Fishbone. <laughs> so like oh, I wow. think I think Philip you know philip you know fish you know philip fish fisher i think he might have seen me do like my first drum solo with reverend horton heat which was very odd because i knew i knew that he was standing like out by their uh merch table at the time with pretty much the most frightening moment of my life but but you know like i mean i've watched a lot of drum solos over the years you know like but i was always drawn to stuff like you know, seeing like Papa Joe Jones, like do a drum solo, you know, and how animated he was. And it wasn't that he was, you know, playing crazy stuff, but it was really musical. And he was playing, you know, like, uh, you know, he's, you know, making, you know, he's animated in his face and, you know, like seeing like stuff like that, that was really like clever and hip and swinging at the same time. Um, he was definitely an influence. So I think just like all the, you know, drum solos that I've seen over the years, of course, like, you know, Buddy Rich's stuff and like, um, um, you know, seeing like, you know, seeing, uh, Steve Gadd do a solo that was, you know, all, all about, you know, groove and, and, Mm -hmm. and like keeping a groove going, like it kind of all just kind of build, you know, I'm sure just kind of built up in me. And like, um, I knew I wanted to incorporate a little bit of kind of like rudimental stuff, you know, because that's a, you know, part of my background and, you know, when you start doing like, you know, backsticking stuff or, you know, twirling sticks and whatnot while you're playing, um, you know, obviously the yeah, that connects with the crowd and like, you know, I'm sure like there's a, there's a couple things in there that I'm sure I got from, from Dennis Chambers, like the, you know, the crossover kind of like cymbal crashes while like running like 16s on the kicks, you know, I've seen him do that. And that's also like, uh, when I was at North Texas and in the drum line, that was a kind of a high point of, of the drumline competitive show, like when we would go compete at PASIC, you know, like uh, there was, I, that's actually where I first learned how to do like the kind of like crossover, kind of the kind of like five lips in a way or whatever, you know, um, you know, while you're playing the crashes, uh, it was, Crazy. you know, we had, you know, so anyway, like, I, you know, you pull from different things, like yeah. there's something else I do where I kind of like build up a, and this is actually kind of my, like a poor man's version of something that I saw Dennis Chambers do. <laughs> like I, I saw him play with, with Santana once, you know, back in Dallas. And during his solo, he did this thing where uh, I think the way I remember it at least was that he started out playing real, like he was playing like a, like a blast beat kind of thing, basically with his feet. I mean, he was, he was running the kicks super fast and he started really slow on the snare drum, like building up a double stroke roll. Yes. But, but while he was speeding up the double stroke roll, he was slowing down his feet. What? And, and then they, there was, there was, I swear that there was like a brief second where they kind of met in the middle and they were perfectly together. (laughs) And then he kept on, you know, he kept on going to the point where it was completely reversed. Like his That's hands were flying crazy. and his feet were going really slow. And then he brought it back around again, like the other direction. So I do something kind of like, a, like I said, kind of like a poor man's version of that, where I'll have my feet going. Well, actually, what I do is I kind of start them both off together, like in unison. Like I'm, you know, playing 16s with with uh, with my feet and playing doubles, double sticking, like, you know, 16s with my hands or, you know, it's just not starting at 16s. 
16s, obviously, it's starting really slow. But I'll speed them both up, but then I'll slow my hands down while keeping my feet going. Yeah. And some nights it's cleaner than others. But, you know, like, <laughs> then I slow it back down and then, like, my – our stage manager, Jonathan, like throws me a towel from the wings and like I set my sticks down and wipe my forehead off while my feet are feet still are going. going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's all it's all sh- it's all shtick. And like, I mean, you know, I'm sure like any drummers that see would be like, oh, come on, man. But it's like no. the audience loves it. It's yeah, like you right. got to entertain, man. It's like they don't want to see you play something in 13, 16. I mean, I would want to see it. I, I like I said, I admire that kind of stuff, you know, and I'm. I admire like the, you know, the sick like chops that just keep on going, but don't stop. But like, but I just, you know, but I, you know, I touch on like a little bit of sing, 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 like, you know, Mm -hmm. in my, in my solo, like I'll do, I'll I'll get like the floor Tom groove going from like, you know, the Krupa sing, sing, sing. And, um, throw a little for the, any jazz lovers, I'll throw like this little, I, I play a little cowbell lick. That's like, like salt peanuts lick basically yeah. on the cowbell uh-huh. and you know i'm just trying to make it into like a you know thing you know like we're all come out to the front of the stage and play on the upright bass you know like and you know play on the strings and the and the body of the upright bass and then i'll go right in front of the audience and play on on a monitor wedge i'll play some drum line licks or whatever and if, if, if there's beer bottles or whatever i'll have them hold them up and i'll start doing like my best like uh Chili's baby back ribs like thing, you know. In making groove and feel a a cornerstone of what you do, which is so important, how do you make those fast grooves? What would be your advice for someone playing those fast grooves? How, How do you think about that? How do you approach that to make them feel good? Yeah, so I the way I approach that sort of stuff is like on the fast tunes. I'm actually thinking a slower tempo, like um, it, it, either half time or maybe even quarter time, depending on, on how fast it is. You know, like I, I think I probably picked this up from Soph actually, um, where you know he would talk about like on if you're playing a really slow tune, you know, you have to have like faster subdivisions going in your head. You know, um, you know, if it's super slow, you might have like triplets going in your head or 16s even, you know, depending on the feel. Well, on like these faster, uh, you know, Reverend Horton heat songs, I think that's probably what you're you were referring to. Right. Like, yes, I, yeah. I, you know, I'll be thinking like, you know, the song might be like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, two, got to go down, got to go down, got to go down. But I might be thinking one, two, three. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like almost right. just the measures, you right. know what I mean? And so all the beat that I'm playing just kind of ends up being like a subdivision kind of of the big beat that I'm that I'm thinking about. And I I, I also saw um, a Billy Ward video. I think it's called the big beat, actually, like yeah. a video that he did years ago that I, he touched on some of those same topics. And it really resonated with me that like the faster the song is, um well, I definitely remember him talking about on the slow songs, like, you know, I think he even like would, you know, like uh, do stuff like in his body, like, you know, like whether it's like clicking his teeth or whatever. Like I, I seem to remember him talking about like really feeling the subdivisions on the slower tempos, you know what I mean? And that's how you stay grounded, you know. And I definitely remember Ed talking about it in reverse on like the faster tempos. Um, you think uh, you think a, think a slower tempo in your head you know that's what that's what you're actually feeling right and i right. think that that allows like those songs um you know like uh 
Reverend Horton, he would be like Psychobilly Freak Out. Um, uh, some of the songs that I mentioned earlier, those all kind of fall into that into that feel, that similar kind of feel. And Ace of Spades, for example, the same, like when we do that Motorhead cover, you know, like uh, I'm kind of feeling like the the bar rather than the individual beats. Because I think if you start to feel the individual beats, it can get too choppy kind of feeling and right, too right. like a too too staccato yes almost i mean and it's it's it has i think the the feel smooths out a bit if if i'm thinking about you know you know as one unit rather than one two three four i'm thinking one two three you know and mm-hmm. while i'm playing like i might be playing like you know i might be playing that but i'm not thinking every 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 beat i'm thinking every bar more or less almost right um, right right so yeah. i think i think that really helps i mean up to, up tempo swing works the same way like if you know you're trying to play like cherokee or something like that i'm not thinking you know at 300 beats a minute or something like that i'm not thinking the quarter notes so much i mean i'm playing quarter notes but but and and uh and eighths but i'm thinking like the bars you know to in an effort to make it feel smoother and more connected right maybe. right yeah okay. yeah so put, think slow when you play fast uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in in a in broken down, you know, uh, that think slow when playing fast, think fast when playing slow, um, having the yeah. visions to kind of help bring those things together for sure. I saw a YouTube video the other day that really kind of opened my eyes to it. it the, the title of the video was How to Be a Better Instagram Drummer. Wow. And that kind of like blew my mind. That's an actual title from a video that I saw. But, you know, there's a point there that you're touching on. It's like there, there's not a count. There's not an, uh, an infinite number of gigs to be had. You know what I mean? Like right. in, in terms of like touring and making a living, you know, playing playing music, you know, I mean, so if that's the case, then what, you know, then what else? is there and that is what i think has developed is that well you know you can i'm sure by monetizing i'm sure hasn't happened for me but like i'm sure that people are monetizing you know very well whether it's through like an online drum school or or from um you know support you know click support on ads or whatever you know yeah who that who who might say that that's not that's not worthy of it yeah 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 Yeah. exactly i mean i I feel the same way so you know it's like if, if there if another avenue has been developed you know in order to make a career in music then i am all for it it's not really the path for me i don't think um but, uh, you know, cause I just, I, I like playing with other musicians, you know, and I, and I like playing on stage. I like playing live, I think more than anything else, you know, like, um, you know, I've done a, you know, a, f- a fair amount of studio stuff, you know, you know, back in Dallas, you know, um, but, but I really love to play live, you know, so, you know, cause it's, for me, it's like as much of a, as much of a, you know, energy like surge as I'm sure the audience gets, you know, so, um, like that's what it's all about for me, and sure. uh, and but but you're exactly right that it's like you know it's like it's not really to be criticized because if you know if 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 people are getting recognition and doing their thing because of what they you know do online and they're getting accolades for it, that's great. You know, um, I feel bad though when I see like you know Instagram pages, you know, someone with you know a hundred thousand followers, and then I see 
some of my legends, the uh, legends to me in the drumming world, you know, have like 2000, you know, yeah, like 2000 sure. followers, you know, and sure. I'm like, uh, doesn't seem fair, but I mean, you know, I guess, you know, we all got to get better at our use of hashtags, I guess, or something, you know, but <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> hard to say, man. It's, it's really hard to say, but I mean, what, and I think there's a, there's an audience, like, who are you trying to appeal to? And, mm-hmm. and, it's, I think we're still, I would argue we're still kind of in the beginning stages of a, of mm-hmm. a new era in which we share and experience music. And uh, we're just going through a transition period and uh, depends on, I think, a lot of it, your age and, and, and how you discover things. And sure. What you think is the way to get yourself out there and your way to f- find work. But, yeah. you know, that all being said, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do my best, like, uh, right. you know, I mean, in terms of, you know, being out there, you know, um, online and trying to improve that because like the bottom line is we're talking about like, you know, being a musical drummer as being a chop in itself. Well, you know, having your, your social media, you know, plan together is a chop in itself. And, you know, and it's a chop that like, uh, you know, people who, um, you know, uh, have been at it for at you know the music business business for a while. Need to you know like get together if you know if you're going to you know keep continue to succeed. You know, and so that's where I'm, I'm trying to trying to up my game with that right. as much. You don't as want to I miss can, an opportunity you know? just yeah, because you know sure. like well I'm not really into this. And it's like well, yeah, you need to have at least something there so that if if it's a last minute thing that could potentially change the direction of your career. Because, you yeah. know, in this career, your world could change in a phone call. Right. Or a text message. In, or a text message. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you know, it's a kind of a thing where, you know, I'm, I see like, you know, students that that I taught back in Texas that are, you know, actually, uh, you know, guys that are in Nashville now like that, you know, and they're like half my age and they're killing it. Yep. And, you know, they have their they have their social media happening and they sound great on top of that. Yeah. And they're great guys. You know, one one I'm thinking of for sure is the, a guy named Kip Allen, you know, who went to a high school that 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 I taught at. And, um, you know, along with a couple of, other, you know, drum instructors, you know, worked with him. And now and then he went to Belmont. Uh, I believe he graduated from Belmont. And, you know, he's doing great. You know, he's playing. He's with he's with the band. I think I just saw him on on TV a few nights ago um, on one of the late night shows. And um uh, do you know Kip by chance? I do. Do you know that man. name? I don't. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll yeah. Check he, that out. Yeah, and and and, and um, you know he's he does he's doing really well. Um, but anyway, like uh, you know, there, there's you know, I, I'm so I'm kind of like learning, you know, from you know guys that at one point were you know were students of mine, you know, in some in one capacity or another, you know, that like okay, this is you know this is what you need to do, you know, and. <clears throat> you know, if the content is, you know, the bottom line is the people who have a hundred thousand followers or whatever on Instagram, it eventually comes down to the fact that it's because the content that they're putting out there is what people want to see, you know? Right, so there's, right. you know, the, you know, you, there's nothing that can be taken away. I mean, I, I joke when I say, you know, I got to get better at using hashtags or whatever, but I mean, those are obviously a tool to get your, to get your stuff seen by more people, but people aren't going to follow you if they don't like what it don't matter how many hashtags you use. If they don't like what they're seeing or hearing, they're not going to follow gonna you. 
So, right. yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, all the power to them, you know, for, you know, knowing, using those strategies, uh, but also having content um, that is attractive to people. And, you know, I think, you know, some of it is content that isn't necessarily attractive to me, but but I can definitely see it, you know, just like you say, well, I'll, well, I hate country music. Well, guess what? Millions of people don't hate it. <laughs> you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, so you know, it's like you can have you know your likes or dislikes, but you know, there's validity in not only every style of music, but also in every angle. Man, I'm, I'm all for it. Whatever angle you can make a career in the music business, uh, you know, I would say more power to you because it's you know it's hard. <laughs> Ten thousand maniacs can't be wrong. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, uh, another thing I want to I want to uh, touch on real quick is when you left Eleven Hundred Springs, you mm-hmm. left on on good terms, and and it, and everybody's story is different when when trying to leave a situation. But mm-hmm. I think because of this the, the the online world in which we all exist, the world is a lot smaller. It's not like mm-hmm. you 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 can just kind of burn bridges because you live in a big city or or your community is large enough to kind of do whatever i think you have to make sure that uh, I, I don't know how to how to put this but there's something that you've done that that when you decided you were done with this group it was mm-hmm. it was done in such a way that um the relationship was still you still maintained a good contact with these guys. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, those guys to this day remain like brothers to me, you know, like, um, uh, there, there was no ill, you know, towards each other that caused me to want to, to move in a different direction. I, I honestly was ready for a little bit of a break and a little bit more stability. Um, you know, I was teaching, um, I actually had what amounted to like a full-time teaching gig in a public school system um, where I had the it, it, I was like a what would be like called like a paraprofessional like I was working I was contracted to work 40 hours a week um, but was had a flexible enough schedule where I could leave to for the weekends like 1100 Springs was more of kind of like a a weekend touring you know like a maybe Thursday or Friday through Sunday kind of touring you know scenario um you know I guess uh, similar to a certain extent maybe to like what you know to what a lot of Nashville to like Mm -hmm. the Nashville model um but you know not as long I mean we wouldn't leave like on a Wednesday or something like that we would you know do shows on maybe Thursday Friday Saturday and and I would usually be back in time for my church gig on Sunday morning you know that sort of a thing but you know leaving on good terms like that and um you know honestly I I was ready for just a little bit of a break and wanted to focus on this 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 teaching gig that I had um you know, it, you you can never burn a bridge. You know, you and and there was, but my bigger point is there was there was no there was no burning that needed to be done with with eleven hundred springs. I mean, like those, like I said, like you know, those guys are like brothers to me, and and always will be. You know, I mean, it was it was a beautiful gig, and I learned a ton uh, about country music, but just about music in general, really. You know, um, and uh, you know, like uh, that you know, was, you know, a chapter that was, that was really, really good for me and, you know, really instrumental in, in bringing my playing to it another just, it was time. level. 
It was time. Yeah. But, yeah, but I think that it's just important, that, you know, as you move throughout things. And I think even Billy Ward talks about, you know, when you when you go from year to year, you know that you're moving in the right direction when you feel like, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're maybe you're working in a genre where you want to, or you, maybe you're working with different people um, just for the sake of uh, uh, meeting more people, uh, right. maybe a, a better bass player this time around, you know, different kinds of things, not not to take anything away from what you've learned or, or anything from that band particularly, but I think for to relate it more to, to what may, maybe many other people are doing is that um, sometimes we want to keep moving forward, and so that right. means shedding uh, certain uh, work situations and other gigs that we're doing, and how to do it in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like um, I think maybe you know because of the um, kind of like diverse you know interests in music that I had. And that I have not had, obviously, but um, I think I probably felt like, you know, I had, you know, played as much of that style as I kind of wanted to for that moment, you know. Um, But a lot of it, like like I said, it was really just about the about kind of taking a a breather and like getting a little bit more stability in terms of teaching. You know, it's like my music career, you know, has has always been like a balance of playing and teaching. Like I think it is for a lot of, a lot of uh, musicians. I I had my first teaching gig, like at a high school when I was 19 years old, you know, like, um, you know, I had just moved to to Texas, you know, um, you know, to go to North Texas and, um, the summer after my first year in school, I got, you know, hired as a drumline instructor at a high school, you know, and, you know, at that point, I mean, it's the the business has changed since then. But at that point, you didn't need a degree to teach uh, to be like a drumline instructor. Now it's more tied in uh, to a, a position of like being a band director, a full a full band oh, director who focuses on percussion. Okay, yeah. So there, there, most schools like at that most schools have moved to that model. At at that time, you know, I was like essentially hired by like the Band Booster Club to teach the to teach the the drum line, you know, so, and, and private lessons on top of that and everything. So, you know, and I was a student at North Texas at that time, you know, so it's always been, you know, like a combination of teaching and playing for me. And, um, that's more of what uh, I felt like it was a little bit, it was weighing a little bit heavier on the playing side than, than I wanted to at that moment. But, like I said, it didn't take long for me to get kind of get the bug back again <laughs> yeah, that I wanted yeah. to, to get back out on the road. But I mean, like I've, you know, had, you know, I benefited from having some really good teachers when I was younger that I think um, that's what pushed me or always gave me um, uh, a sense that, you know, that teaching was like an important, you know, thing to do and to, you know, pass on whatever you have to to someone else, um, you know, both whether it was my, you know, my parents taught me a lot about music. I, my uncle gave me my first drum lesson actually <laughs> when I was, uh, uh, it was a summer after sixth grade, my uncle, uh, Jesse Castaneda was, um, uh, drum and bugle corps 
snare drummer for years in wow. in in where where I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin. You know that whole area of the Midwest is you know kind of what was a hotbed for drum and bugle core. You know, um, and of course, you know you have like Madison Scouts and the you know. Um, uh, Phantom Regiment and the Cavaliers all within like two and a half hours of each other, basically in that, you know, Chicago, Rockford, Madison area. But there was also a ton of other smaller cores, you know, that were in like Racine, actually, where I live. There was like the group, the Racine Kilties and, um, you know, like the... Um, the spirit of 76 and the boys of 76, the Explorer Scouts. There's like four drum corps right there just in a, in, in one town in, in Wisconsin. So my uncle played in a bunch of those. And so like what I basically, what I'm saying is like, I, I, I benefited from having great teachers um, as a youngster and was a part of like school band programs all growing up, mm-hmm. you know, all the way through high school. And, um, and then of course, you know, you know, had a great, uh, had some great instructors in drum and bugle corps um, um, in the Madison Scouts. You just felt uh, the benefit of all that stuff. Yeah, and you were just, yeah. And so that that probably what gave you the, the the inspiration and the bug to teach. Yeah, it's just a, it was almost like it was under like I almost just kind of knew like uh, like unconsciously that that was going to be a part of what I did always, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like. Um, like I'm pretty good at it. Cause I'm, you know, I, I, I have a, you know, a good sensibility in terms of, um, you know, just being helpful. And, you know, I have, I have kind of the desire to serve and to help others like, and, and you have to be, have patience to be a teacher, obviously, especially when you're working with, you know, with middle school students, for example, yes. you know, I, I feel like I have a patient, you know, like personality or, you know, sensibility to myself where, you know, I, I knew that it was, it was something, something that was that that should should be a part uh of what i do and and has honestly like kept me you know going a lot of the times because you know reverend horton heat is like the first gig that i've had where well brave combo was to a certain extent as well i was still doing a bit more teaching though when i was with brave combo but reverend horton heat is the first gig that i've had where it's all i'm really doing you know i've i've done a few drum clinics during my time but i did leave all like the full-time teaching stuff that i had been doing i I had to leave that behind because you know the band's playing you know upwards of 175 dates a year okay yeah yeah and we played you know i I, like I said, uh, I got hired by the band in August of last year, and the first thing I did was we um, – well, actually, I recorded their record before they technically hired me as the new drummer. But, um, but you know, they hired me, and like a couple weeks later, we were, we were on a month-long tour starting on – I think my first show with them was September 2nd. That was that tour that I was – referencing that it included like fishbone as the direct support which was a learning experience in, in itself fish was you know super well obviously you know he's an amazing drummer but it was also really free with his information and stuff and like was really cool like you know there were four four bands on the bill so like the four drummers would hang and talk technique stuff or whatever usually more, more or less like fish like kind of showing us what he what he does and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and how he thinks about technique and that and all and all that and so that was a great learning experience but basically since that point um my first show was september 2nd and uh you know now it's like uh june 24th i i counted up the shows like the other day i think this is like 
tonight might be like the 130th show that I've done with the band in, in less than a year, you know? Jeez. So, um, yeah, but, um, you know, so I do miss the, you know, I miss the teaching to a certain extent, you know, and, uh, um, still looking for ways to, to get, you know, um, to get to do a little bit of that as I can. I'm, I'm working on, you know, like I mentioned that clinic I did at PASIC a couple of years ago. Right. That was like, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work, like working like with beginner, beginning students, like not only on, um, just basic percussion type technique stuff, but, you know, working with them on drum set and stuff like that. And, um, uh, so I, you know, I did a clinic uh, about beginning drum set stuff, uh, um, uh, at PASIC, at PASIC 2016. And then I did a, another version, a kind of another version of that at the, the TMEA clinic this year in February. TMEA stands for the Texas Music Educators Association, okay. which is a, it's a huge clinic, uh, or a huge convention of, cause it's Texas, of, right? And it's it's Texas. Be big. Yeah. It's gotta be big. And that's, that's insane. It's in San Antonio every year. And they invited me to do a clinic this year, and it was directed towards band directors and um, jazz band directors in specific. You know, like uh, helping them help their drummers. You know, like uh, nice. so that that went really well. And so, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do, like while I'm out on tour, and I'm still trying to get better about doing this, is accomplishing like other goals that I have while I'm on the road. Like I'm working on a book that's based on on some of the content from those clinics, uh, that I've been developing. Um, and you know, but it's hard, you know, it's hard because it's so easy, you know, to, uh, to just spend the time that you're not on stage, like resting, eating, and like maybe getting on a treadmill when, when I guilt myself into doing it, you know, but <laughs> trying to find a couple hours also to, to work on writing something. I think it's important. I mean, cause it, there is a lot of downtime on the road. I mean, it's, and mm-hmm. it's easy to get caught up in like, well, in a couple hours, I got to do this. But I mean, it's a little bit every day. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the, I mean, the podcast essentially started while I was mm-hmm. on the road. And, and, oh, and wow. in many respects, I feel like I almost had more time. I didn't have time to do the interviews as, as well. I'd had kind of had to wait till I was home. And so there was a short window, but to sit down and edit and to kind of craft certain things, there, there was those windows of time that was was more at my disposal uh, to dictate, and and granted, I know like sound check for you, um, you know that was different. You know, the boss comes in, and you're like, oh, right. okay, well, you know that that changes everything. Uh, you know, for for obvious sure. reasons. Yeah, um, yeah. But but yeah, no, I I think there's a way to to organize, stay organized, and 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 find a goal and and focus on. Uh, biting off a little bit at a time, mm-hmm. and, it, and it it becomes something larger than you, you. It just builds up over time. It's it's just amazing. We we all look at, at these big projects that we want to do and are overwhelmed, and we never take that first step. Yeah, just take that very <laughs> first step, then it becomes two and six, and you know a hundred, and like you say. You, here you got 130 shows starting, you know, tonight will be your 130th show. And you're like, wait a minute, how did this become 130 shows? Because it started with one. Right. You know. Right. We kind of started in Nashville and, and very much pride ourselves on many of the wonderful players that we've interviewed from here and many of the wonderful players mm-hmm. we have yet to interview. 
here in Nashville. But obviously, this isn't the center of the universe. There's insane, wonderful players all over the world that we have yet to reach. Um, but that being said, you're making a major change, and so it just happens to be Nashville. But it could be anywhere. So my sure. my thought is, when you get here... I want to check in with you, and I want to, uh, on the phone, over Skype, whatever, and we, we just, we have a quick, hey, what's going on? What's your plans this week? What's your plans this month? And we, we chat, we talk, we check in, and then we do that maybe a couple times a month, a quick phone call, I record it, and then at the end of the episode, we have like a three or five minute Say, we're checking in with RJ, like, where's Waldo? Where's RJ? <laughs> What's going on? Hey, I'm doing uh, loud jams. This, you know, uh, I've got an audition. How'd it go? I've got a session. You know, I've got this. Um, hey, this didn't work out like I thought it was going to work. Or, hey, this is this is happening, and this, this is how this came about, or this, you know, whatever. And just... I think there's so many people that are really interested in somebody's change and new path, and I'm wondering if it's something you would be interested in doing for maybe close to a year. I would actually love that. That's I would love to be a part of that. Yeah, I'd totally. Count, and, cut me in or cut it out. That's okay. <laughs> so so we, here's it, kind of the nuts and bolts of it is um, – I do two episodes a month. Zach does two episodes a month, so we have we have four episodes, obviously one a week, and um, so at the end, kind of in the post reel, uh, we kind of say, "Hey, stay tuned at the end of this episode to hear what RJ's up to," and we kind of have this ongoing series for all our listeners to every two weeks. Uh, to kind of hear what you're doing and follow this timeline. It's not always going to be clean. It's not always going to be pretty. <laughs> it could. It could be. There. There, there will be blood. There right? will like be the blood. <laughs> but it if could you're be messy, <laughs> if you're willing to share your journey, the first year in a new town, um, I would. I would love to to try and do something like this for man. That's our that sounds great. I'm I'm totally down for that. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. I've enjoyed chatting with you, man, and and we're we're going to be chatting some more. Uh, that sounds great, man. And like yeah. I said, it's it's been a pleasure for me to be on the show. Um, I've been a fan. I've been a fan since you guys started doing this, That's and um, I feel like I've probably listened to every one of them, and and a few of them I've, I know I've listened to more than once, including cool. the round ta- including the roundtables for sure. Right. Like I, yeah. <laughs> Those I those are like my comic entertainment you know, usually, <laughs> but uh, guys tripping, but yeah. yeah, but man, I've learned so much listening listening to the to the show. Thank and you. So thank you for thank you for having me on. It's it's been a it's been a pleasure to talk with you, and it's and it's an honor to be on the show. Thanks. And I look forward to uh, sharing my tri- trials and tribulations in the future if uh, if we're able to make that work out. <laughs> we will, man. I, it, it's going to be fun. Uh, hey, man. Cool. Listen, have a great show tonight. And and please travel safe. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it, Matt. We'll and we'll chat yeah. soon. Sounds great, brother. Okay. Talk to you soon, man. Okay. Bye bye. All right. So there you have it. Uh you heard it here. We are going to go full speed with this project. I kind of sprung it on Arjuna and I, I'm excited about his positive response. 
And I hope that you as the listener are excited to follow his journey. All the uh, ups and downs, I think Arjuna will do really well. He's just such an excellent player, uh, just a, a sweet soul. And I think that uh, good things are going to happen for him. But I, I've seen it in my uh, decades, couple decades here in Nashville, uh, people's move here and, and, and finding their way. And I think it would be fascinating to, to follow him at least the first year and give it, everybody an idea of kind of what it's like to move to a new place, not necessarily Nashville, but just a new place. So I'm super glad that he agreed to do this, and, uh, and it, was, it was fun to chat with him. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. Thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Go check us out on workingdrummer.net for all the other episodes, and we have T-shirts for sale. Thanks to all those that participated last month in our donation drive, as well as those that are, that are consistently uh, donating to the podcast through Patreon. We were able to maintain our certificate for selling things online and make sure everything is secure. Uh, so just another one of those little expenses, unexpected expenses that you have when you run something like this. But we thank you so much. And we thank you all for listening, just in general, and, and feedback and responses that we get from you on a weekly and monthly basis. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye. <laughs>